0: Welcome to the podcast. In this podcast episode, I talk with Dr. Gina Cox about why respect is the critical foundation for inclusion. Dr. Gina Cox, welcome to the conversation today.
1: Oh, it's really a pleasure to be with you, John.
0: It is a pleasure. You're joining us from Florida. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And we're going to hone in on the idea of respect and the role that respect plays as a critical foundation for inclusion work. As we get started, I wanted to share Dr. Cox's bio with everybody. Dr. Gina Cox is CEO of Feels Human LLC and is an organizational psychologist and executive coach who helps leaders optimize their impact and influence, make career pivots, and build inclusive, respect to lead organizations. She is the author of Leading Inclusion, an award-winning guidebook that shows how to counter the typical disappointing outcomes from diversity, equity, and inclusion work. Her TED Talk, Yes, and Careers, encourages an exploratory approach to building a purposeful career. She is a prominent voice on human-centered leadership, helping leaders see that inclusion tops diversity and must be powered by respect at the center. I love everything about that. Gina, anything you would like to highlight by way of your background or personal context before we dive on in?
1: I think, you know, a couple of things I've mentioned very quickly is that, um, you know, for decades I've worked in corporate America and I think of myself as someone who really focuses on leadership impact. And for all of those years, one of the things that I often used as as the source of the data that helped me guide leaders as I was advising them was employee opinion uh, survey data. And so I I think about these issues through the lens of someone who's heavily steeped in the language and the issues that pertain to leadership effectiveness, uh, employee opinions, employee engagement, and so on. And over those years, this conversation about DEI um, has always sort of been in a box. In fact, it isn't um, a topic that I uh, consulted to or advised my clients uh, about in that sort of way that I talk about it today, a much more expansive way, because people tended to see it as sort of a sliver of something, not a core issue. Uh, And so if there's one thing I want uh, listeners to think about, it is that, you know, you can't call yourself an effective leader, Mm. unless you are really able to lead, uh, you know, 100% of the people who you might hire or who um, report to you. So my background uh, as a psychologist is really pertinent to the conversation, because that's the lens that I bring to everything. Um, And one other thing I would mention is that I'm an immigrant to the United States, I came to the country when I was about 20 years old. And strangely I, I can see myself sometimes looking down on my experiences sort of watching everything along that journey which i think has given me a particularly um a particular lens and certainly um a long standing way of sort of thinking about these issues from the outsider's perspective
0: yeah well thank you for that additional background and context i think that's wonderful I'm really excited to dig into this, and I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to share your experience and your expertise. Let's start by just framing out the traditional DEI, some the some belonging piece onto that DEIB um, conversation. What do you feel is missing there? I mean, it's gained traction in recent years, which I think is a good thing. Um, I think more organizations are paying attention to DEI stuff than perhaps were even a decade ago. Um, but we also are in a really polarized world right now, um, politically, socially. Right, um, it's 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 a difficult arena to play in, um, and and certainly it can be messy. So, what do you think organizations and leaders are currently missing in the DEI conversations, despite you know, perhaps their best efforts or best intentions?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, I do think there has been more effort and I do see progress. So I'm an eternal optimist. And so I'm sitting here, even in this environment that is quite disruptive and disrupted and doesn't feel comfortable. I am sitting from a position where I believe things are going to get better are getting better. It's too slow, but I, you know, good intentions and all that. Um, but what is missing from the conversation, I think, is that first of all, I think leaders need to recognize that inclusion tops diversity. And so what I noticed um, in the last three years as more leaders got involved in this conversation is that there was a headlong rush to hire more people from underrepresented groups, not a negative thing, but there's a but which I I will explain. And then there was this dive into implicit bias training. And the, the diversity focus, the focus on representation while it's important for leaders to understand that and to get it right and to do better, it tended to take over the conversation when the reality is that no matter how many people from underrepresented groups you hire, if you don't have a foundation of inclusion, they're not going to stay in the organization. So one thing that leaders are uh, missing is that, you know, bringing people into the organization where an organization that isn't ready for them feels like being the 11th person at a dinner party. You know, you come in you're like, where's my chair? Where's my fork? Mm -hmm. Where's my spoon? And you blame the host, your manager, your leader, your organization. Why didn't you take care of me? So that's one thing, but the, the core issue, the core thing that's missing is a is a focus on respect as a value that can be used as an organizing principle to help all employees in an organization know how to behave in dealing with one another, their managers, and their uh, customers.
0: Yeah, well said. I often talk, um, whether it's students at the university or um individuals in an organization through coaching or a training session that I do, I often talk about the importance of just the foundational component of mutual accountability and trust and always showing everyone around you dignity and respect, just treating people with dignity and respect. Um, when you do those two things, mutual accountability and trust and dignity and respect as founding core principles and you build other efforts around those, a lot of, at least the low hanging fruit stuff will take care of itself. And, and you'll have a better framework for, for them crafting the systems, the policies, practices, and procedures um, around uh, this inclusive type of a culture and environment that you talk about. You know, when we talk about inclusion or belonging culture, it's, it's not just about having, you know, a diverse group of people around the table. It's, it's helping Everyone feel needed, wanted, valued. That they can bring their whole authentic self to the workplace, and they can contribute in meaningful ways each and every day. Um, That's for everybody. So if you come from a marginalized group, uh, a disadvantaged group of some sort, um, certainly that's for you. So that you feel safe, and you feel included, and you feel like you have an opportunity to to really be a part of the team and contribute in meaningful ways. But it's for everybody. Like that's if if you build on this foundation of, of respect that then builds trust uh it it benefits everybody the rising tide lifts all ships right
1: yeah, absolutely. And, you know, from my perspective, respect is an underattended to and undervalued uh, variable in that equation. Because truthfully, uh, respect is the number one thing that employees say or disrespect. Uh, it's typically cited as the number one reason why employees choose to leave a particular manager or organization. Mm-hmm. And for those employees who feel that they are respected, there's a real, you know, payoff in terms of uh, employee engagement uh, and satisfaction mm-hmm. and collaboration. Mm-hmm. And so on. So there's a big upside to the respect thing. The other thing is, of course, that respect precedes trust. You can't build trust until you are respected. And it tends to be the calculus, the, the, the determination as to whether I personally feel respected tends to be an assessment that happens very rapidly, whereas trust is sort of more of a long game. You, know, you build it over time. And so if you don't have the foundation of respect, a lot of these other more lofty and more commonly discussed outcomes are not achievable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you've, you've already mentioned inclusion. I've mentioned belonging. Um, you've mentioned respect. Why do you feel like, um, you know, with the movement towards this this focus on inclusion and belonging, why do you feel like moving towards respect as a focus is is a better approach?
1: Well, it's a better approach because, first of all, I think we have some sort of a PR problem with the DEI acronym, not Hmm. that there is anything wrong with what those individual letters mean D D for diversity, E for equity and I for inclusion, but I don't think people necessarily understand them. I also think that certain individuals have done a very, very good job of turning those positives into negatives. And because Mm -hmm. employees never understood the terms, never had any skin in the game anyway, nobody's really fighting for them. So just from a practical level, I see value in talking about something that really is very important, but hasn't been handled that way, and is a universally valued outcome. I think every employee in the world desires respect, and it gets talked about very quickly. The other thing that's really interesting to me, though, about respect and somewhat unique Is that respect is the specific outcome that employees from underrepresented groups say that they seek? They don't say Mm -hmm. they seek equity first. They don't say they seek uh, inclusion first. They always say respect because uh, if you look at the literature from the psychological science, what you will discover is that. Uh, a majority, majority group members' definition of respect and the definition of respect from to people are different. They're not the yeah. same thing. And so you find these situations where people leave organizations and they resign and they say to their manager, I'm leaving because I felt disrespected. And the manager goes, what are you talking about? I didn't, I didn't mean anything. I didn't do anything. And then they say, well, what did I do? And the person tells a story and then they still don't get it. Part of that is because their definitions of respect are different. The second is that, uh, people from inter- minoritized groups um, tend to be on alert. They tend to be much more attentive to this outcome, yeah. this respect outcome. And furthermore, data suggests that um, majority group members focus on being liked and interpersonal niceties. But in people from you know underrepresented groups, when they talk about respect, they're talking about a much broader concept. That includes not just the interpersonal niceties, but also being heard and being valued.
0: Yeah, well said. And and maybe this gets into my next question. But as as we define respect, you mentioned it, it does mean something different to different people. That's for, yeah. first and foremost important to recognize and to remember. Um, you just outlined some of those differences that uh, might be manifest. You know from. You know, someone like me, I have a lot of layers of privilege. I'm a straight cisgender white dude versus someone who might have layers of disadvantage uh, due to marginalized, you know, groups or, that they might come from. Um, what what are some of those other critical behavior, behavioral manifestations? How do we see this respect or disrespect playing out commonly in the workplace? You mentioned, you know, a lot of leaders aren't even aware of it, like they, they, they think they're respecting their people. And then someone leaves and they say, you know, I didn't feel respected. They don't get it. Even after it's explained to them, what are some of the most common things you see that, that often we just miss, uh, yeah. despite perhaps what our best intentions might be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, the the first thing is that there's good news about all of this. The solution to this, meaning not missing, not missing uh, this gap, which I will talk about in a second, is that managers have to make sure they're really connected to every person who's on their team. I call effective managers designated hitters because Mm -hmm. they know every person on the team, they have a sense of what they care about, and they they know what they can do to connect and understand what's on that person's mind. So when you don't know, apart from the respect, it probably also means you're not connected connected, but let's mm-hmm. say you know then you put the effort into being connected. Um, what often happens is that, as I said before, it, it does appear from what I have studied that employees from underrepresented groups are looking for something very specific, so of course they're looking for the interpersonal niceties, are you making eye contact, are you acknowledging my humanity? do you say hello when you see me in the hallway and all of those kinds of things that I think we could all imagine that we would all desire. Mm -hmm. But a critical issue is that many employees, specifically from these minoritized groups, when they leave jobs, say their managers do not interact with them sufficiently. And specifically on the dimension of feedback, they say, Mm. not only do they seem to be avoiding me, they don't give me feedback. Now, this idea of feedback is really powerful because they're not just saying I don't get good feedback they're not just saying i don't you know that i don't hear the good stuff they're saying i don't even hear the bad stuff so what they perceive is that they're sort of out there on a limb unaware as to whether they're doing poorly or doing well they don't really have any any feedback that will let them know that and so they spend a lot of time and a lot of energy worrying about things perhaps that they don't need to worry about meaning that sometimes they think they're not doing well when they are and conversely They don't recognize when something bad, you know, when they aren't doing well. And so it feels like they've fallen off a cliff when one day somebody says, well, you're not a good performer. Either way is is bad news. That's one thing managers should focus on is giving feedback. Another, which I can relay this story that's top of mind because it's, something I'm, you know, I helped a client with several months ago, but I'd heard this story many times before is when an employee comes into an organization and they're, you know, they find their stride. They're like, okay, I can do this. And then they start sharing their ideas and they're thinking, well, you know, wow, I'll be a sort of part of the system. And, and they start to share the ideas and they don't get feedback. They don't get acknowledgement of their ideas. No one says, well, thank you, Gina, for sharing that. Or Paul, did you hear that this was, that Gina came up with this idea and did this thing and, and worse is when the manager takes the employee's ideas and runs with them, but doesn't give them credit. Now, this can happen to any employee, regardless of who they look like, uh, what they look like. And so I'm not suggesting that these things only happen to underrepresented employees, but I am saying that for that group, their expectations of this kind of positive reinforcement or the need for it is very, very strong. And so they Mm -hmm. are very attentive when they don't get it. That leads to sort of a spiral of, uh, you know, high expectations not met, and then sort of this downward thing unless something comes along so there 's that um another thing I would say john uh, about the sort of the practical manifestation uh, of respect is that often um, what I hear directly from employees that you know people that I have coached and so on. Is that there is this sense that I'm good enough for certain things, or I'm given exposure to certain kinds of things, but I don't get the high visibility roles. I don't mm. get to be directly in front of the customer, but I could be on the phone call for the you know behind the scenes kinds of work. And when the opportunities are doled out, that would provide me maybe you know opportunities to be in the parts of the business that generate revenue or where the product is created i never even know that these opportunities exist so mm-hmm. even something as simple as making sure that all opportunities are clearly communicated is an element that can be put into the category the broad category of respect
0: yeah i think that's fantastic like we just need to allow everyone on the team to contribute in these various ways and sometimes and again i don't think it's always a nefarious thing on the in the mind of a you know, of a leader saying, I want to exclude one person I I want to, but, but, you know, some of it's implicit bias. Sometimes, sometimes it's just, you kind of have your go-to people, the people, you know, the people you're comfortable with. You're like, they're my go-to person. I'm just going to put them on this important call. I'm going to put them on this important project. Mm-hmm. And that in and of itself is a fallacy from a leadership perspective, regardless of whether we're talking about DEI stuff, just from a general respect standpoint, like mm-hmm. that's a big problem. And that's a common problem that I think a lot of leaders fall into. So I think that's super important. And the the feedback piece, uh, I really appreciate you honing in on that. Um, we know that, that People need feedback to grow and develop. They want feedback, especially, you know, I, you were talking about, um, minoritized groups, in particular. But I, I was also thinking as you were talking about that uh, about younger millennials or Gen Z workers. They often express the same types of frustrations of leaving because they don't feel invested in, they don't feel supported, they don't feel coached or mentored, they don't feel like they're getting the feedback that they need. And mm-hmm. a lot of leaders. When they hear that, they're just like, oh, these entitled people, you know, they, they, what do they think? I'm just going to sit around all day and try to give them feedback. I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's your job. You're a leader. You're supposed to coach and mentor and provide feedback, but it is a different mindset, I think between, you know, perhaps an older generation of straight white men like myself versus younger generations or those from disadvantaged groups uh, or whatever, like they just have a, tend to have a different mindset around these things. And we need to be aware of that. And, you know, I tell my students all the time, like one of the most important things you can do as a leader, regardless of your formal role or title, regardless of the industry you're in, you, you need to, invest into the development of your people and help them maximize their potential. That's your job as a leader, not to do all the work yourself, not to micromanage people. Um, but to you accomplish things, not because of you, you accomplish things through your people who do great stuff. And that happens as you support them and as you invest in them and as you coach them and mentor them and provide feedback. And mm-hmm. for this DEI and respect conversation. Yeah, that is such an important, essential component that I think a lot of times just gets missed.
1: Yeah. Oh, I absolutely agree with everything that you just said, John. And, um, y- you know, I often, um, think, talk about this whole idea that when you're a manager, you, you ought to wake up in the mornings and assume that you have a dark board in the middle of your forehead in the <laughs> sense that for the people that report to you, I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that in the sense that you are it. They're focused on you, which is one of the reasons why when people go home and talk about their jobs, they talk about their manager and they talk about, um, does this person wear black shoes or brown shoes? Do they like gold jewelry or silver jewelry? You know, they they know a lot about you just from observation because they're Mm -hmm. so attentive to you. You are it. You're the designated hitter. So to the extent that you are the designated hitter 100% of the time, but you are not attentive to their needs, or you're not providing that coaching or that mentorship or that feedback, it's very clear who's responsible and who's not delivering. And I only say that to remind everyone that in, in many ways, I think a lot of these relationships break down when the employee feels disappointed in that. Mm-hmm. And so organizations have got to make sure, I mean, I, I, I'm putting this burden on managers, but I do think organizations have got to make sure they create a culture and, it's, and in which managers have space to develop their leadership skills so that mm-hmm. they can then understand how to be effective managers. Uh, in other words, I blame, I, I say managers, this is what you need to do. I hold lead organizations responsible for enabling them to do it.
0: Yeah, well said. Gina, this has just been a really fun conversation. I know at the time I'm going to need to let you go here in just a few minutes, but before we wrap things up for today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, your team, and then give us a final word on the topic for today.
1: Oh, absolutely. Thank you for that, John. Well, you can find me at my website, uh, GinaCox.com. And Gina is spelt with an E. Don't ask me why. G-E-N-A-C-O-X.com. Uh, <laughs> and on the first page, the front page of my website, I do have uh, a, a, an ebook if you're interested in knowing more about my perspective on, specifically on respect in the workplace and how you might think about it, how you might operationalize it, and how you might measure it or assess it in, in people with whom uh, you work. You're welcome to have that down download at my website. Um, And you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm fairly active there. I enjoy talking to people who share their ideas with me and and vice versa, so we can meet there as well. I will say one more thing. Um, Often I'm asked, why don't I talk more about belonging? You know, why do I talk about respect and not more about belonging? And there are two reasons. One of them is I'm really concerned that people are starting to add the B to the DEI, primarily for sort of political cover in a way, right? Mm -hmm. to find another word to talk about. And I believe in belonging. I think belonging is a great idea. But I also find that it's very hard for people to define it. Mm -hmm. It's hard for people, when you ask other people, do you feel it, it's really hard for them to explain what they mean. And there's great variability in those explanations. And I think for people from Minoritized groups, especially African Americans, there is a negative response to that word, Mm -hmm. uh, for obvious reasons. um, That, well, reasons that are obvious, I think, to them, but might not be so obvious to others who use it who don't have any bad intentions. So it's not ever going to be embraced, I don't think, especially by Black Americans. Um, And as I said before, just based on the psychological science, respect is the core. Um, outcome that if you measure and drive, if you drive to it and measure to it, will deliver all of these other outcomes that we desire.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Gina, thank you so much. It's been a it's- real pleasure. I encourage the audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Gina can do for you. Check out her books, check out her resources. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week.